My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 62 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Hey everybody, on this week's show we've got nutrition expert and nutritionist to some of the country's top athletes, Evan Lynch on nutritional tips for runners at Christmas time and we also take a look at Red S Syndrome for male athletes and Rene Borg is here to talk to us about the challenge state and threat state in athletes. Everybody, get your running gear on, let's go. Hey everybody, hope you're all well and you all got through that bad week there last week with bad, snowy, icy winter conditions. Not good for training, not good for running, but I'm sure maybe a few adventures were had. We have a super Christmas period coming up now. Hopefully lots of free days from work where you can get out training, racing, and hopefully we'll get to enjoy some Christmas racing and running events over the next two weeks. Speaking of races, what a race by Leanne Van Dyke in the Glen a Ginty Marathon. Leanne came third overall, 14 minutes ahead of Becky Quinn in second place, with the overall race win going to Simon Duggan with an impressive winning margin of 25 minutes over Brian Buckley in second place. In third was Daniel Quinn and third in the ladies race was Anna Klimek. In the half marathon the wins went to John Leonard in 2 hours and 8 minutes and Lorraine Bolster in 2 hours 25 minutes. Before we call in Rene guys for our coaching slot, thank you to our new patron Alan Kennedy for becoming a patron since our last show and Alan asked could we give a shout out to his fellow runners in the new Wicklow Wolf running club there in Wicklow best wishes guys in all your training and racing going into 2023 Rennie actually knows the club very well he's been helping to get them up off the ground and is involved in some of their training sessions and training structure and of course you might remember the name Wicklow Wolf for all of those who ran in the eco trail Wicklow where we saw Simon and the great team from the Wicklow Wolf with their fantastic craft beer that they offered all all the finishers in Bray in September and I'm certainly looking forward to September 30th already next year. Thank you of course to all of our Patreons. Happy Christmas guys. Thank you for supporting the short the show sorry all year long. Um, if you haven't had a chance yet and if you do have a minute over the Christmas period please do pop over to Patreon, Trail Running Ireland podcast. And for between three euros a month, six euros a month, whatever you can do, it can help keep us going for another year where we do our very best to promote trail and mountain running in Ireland. And as much as possible, bring you the stories of the great Irish mountain and trail runners and other members of the trail and running community to help grow this fantastic sport. Right, so time for some coaching tips and let's call in our coaching guru. Renny Borg from Running Coach Ireland. Renny, happy Christmas to you. Great to talk to you. Yeah, happy Christmas, Owen. Uh, still a few, nine days, what is it? Yeah, and 10 days still for the Irish to sort everything out. 
Yes, indeed. And I believe everybody has been struggling with icy cold, but lovely Christmas weather as opposed to the weather that I'm still stuck with here. And it sounds so silly, Renny, complaining about 28 and 29 degrees um, still. But when you're at when you're in the middle of that temperature and heat all year round, oh, I'd love a bit of snow this time of year, to be honest. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty, you know, the kids love it. And I think a lot of our trail running listeners quite enjoy it as long as they can actually get to the trailhead. And, you know, there's just something special, especially when most of the, we haven't had too much precipitation, as I was telling you before the call. I, f- I think a few parts of the country might have had worse than here in Wicklow. But it's actually been fairly mild. You know, the temperatures are zero um, to kind of minus three at most, which is not so bad. Um, and the, the layer of snow is is fairly thin. So if you have a good pair of shoes, the, the running poles, maybe a pair of the, the yak tracks that I like to use when it's it's icy, you can get some fairly nice adventures. You know, the hills look very different. Uh, so mm. it's just, uh, and road clearance has been very good here. In fact, good. you know, which you wouldn't think because we I say we live at 250 meters. Good, good, good. Well, hopefully, you know, all the different events that are planned over the, the Christmas period. There's always lots of the fantastic uh, community-based road races all around the country, lots of 5K Christmas races. And then, of course, a couple of events on the mountains as well. So hopefully they all get to go ahead okay. And I suppose before we get into our own topic, Renny, are you happy with how your own racing and uh, training went over the last 12 months as we begin to close off 2022? Yeah, I would say content Owen. It was um it was an improvement on last year, you know, which is sometimes that's that's the first first and foremost, you know, training and results wise, it was much better than the year before. Uh, and as you're getting older, that in itself is good. Um, you know, I had a few issues with the body the the previous year, which hadn't been there the year before, and they're they're more or less gone. So uh, but you know, we are runner zones, we always want more, and uh, we always would have liked to do more. Uh, so maybe, you know, I, I have decided this year to do the opposite of what I usually do, which usually I kind of tend to look at my mileage and do a little bit of a rush past the post, you know, to get to whatever is the kind of next little volume milestone. But um, I thought this year I'd actually prefer to start January fresher because there's a, we have a lot going on this December and I'm sure a lot of other people are like that. So I've taken a little bit of a step back this December. It's not going to be so heavy. Okay, okay. So start the year strong in January and get the miles up, get out to the mountains and and get ready for some races. Anything big on the calendar next year, Renny? I think, isn't it? Eco Trail Copenhagen is your first first big race you have lined up. Yeah, it'll be the first, that'll be the first important the spring goal. Um, for those who don't know it, uh, I'll give it a little plug. Um, but uh, they're gonna have four distances over there, very s- similar to the Eco Trail here in Wicklow. It's gonna be, you know, sustainable, runnable trail for the most part. Uh 10, I think 20, 45, and 80k distances. I hope to do the 45 if the training goes the way it's it has to go. Um, and then the um it's obviously much different elevation-wise than here in Ireland. There's no long climbs. Uh, there's a lot less elevation than you'll have in in our races here over that distance, but the climbs are there's a lot of them, you know. So there's lots of small, very small undulations. So that's a challenge in itself, and I think you'll need a bit more flat speed for that race. So um, I haven't really picked yet what to do in the meantime. But if anyone who is doing these, there's a lot of tough marathons and races, kind of in the 26 to 45, 50 kilometer in February, March, April, even May. So, you know, for people who are targeting that, like I am, you kind of need to find a few preliminary races, you know, the kind of what we call B priority uh, that 
prepare you for that experience because of what we're going to talk about today, which is that a very important part of having a good workout and a good race is that you don't perceive the race as a threat, but that you perceive it as a challenge. And that's much easier if you have already done something that is at least somewhat similar, you know, and that's why we don't like at least in our method, but I think it goes for most runners and coaches. We don't like our runners to do the first really important race as the first race of the season. There has to be some kind of tune-up races and lead-in races first. It's it's a nice segue, Wendy, into our topic for today. Last week, we spoke about the different stresses that we have in our training and racing environment and how to try and manage them. And today, we wanted to just follow up with that um, and to talk about the theory of challenge and threat state in athletic performances. Um, talk to us more, Randy, about the topic, because just from writing it down on paper beforehand, it's, it's a fascinating um, topic. Lots of sports psychology involved with this and um, lots of good tips, I think, for the people that are, that are listening in. Yeah, some long-time listeners know we like to kind of get ideas when, you know, we, we kind of often pick topics um, based on the season or because we read an article that we think brings up a topic in a really interesting and well-written way, you know, and then we think, well, that could be a good starting point for discussion. And this is something we got from Fast Running, who they were discussing a revision of some research that was done on the theory of threat versus challenge from stress. And the idea of that theory is just that stress that you're exposed to can either facilitate or debilitate. They were the two words they used, athletic performance. So that means that the stress you experience can either harm your performance or it can actually, in some ways, aid your performance. And the way they classify that is to say that the body will go into two different states depending on how it your mind judges the situation that you're about to enter. So the race you're about to enter or the training session you're about to go into. The first and the positive one is the challenge state. So that's when your mind perceives that the resource that it has and the experience it has is sufficient to cope with the demands of the situation it's in or the situation it's about to go into. Whereas once the mind says, I think the demands of this task are going to outweigh my resources and experience, it goes into a threat state instead. Hmm. So we thought, well, that's actually, it's funny because it's so similar to that Arthur Lydiard quote that most people know called train don't strain. Why well, that's that's one reason he felt with your training that you should use the word train and don't strain all the time. And you can easily see there that's because if you're always straining in training, then you will more likely than more likely than not, you will regularly be in a threat state in training. And that means you're actually going to debilitate your athletic performance outcome. Whereas if you stay in a little bit more manageable, where you're in that challenge state, then it's more likely that the stressor is going to create a reaction that then facilitates better performance. So there's actually two different discussions here, as, there, as you can probably pick up on, is there is kind of how does this affect going into a race and how does this affect when you're going into your, your regular day-to-day and week-to-week training? And not only is there the physical side of that challenge and threat state, Rennie, but there's also the mental aspect of it as well, that physically we can just be overreaching continuously and in that threat state environment. But then mentally as well, and I remember it was something that you mentioned in our last chat uh, and it struck a chord with me, that when you're going out training and if you're 
if you mentally always feel under pressure as you're walking out the door, if you're feeling guilty, for example, at the moment with myself here, you know, we've got the two young kids at home, the other two in school. So when I'm going out the door in the morning, sure, I've got Liam and Albert in school. They're fine. They're looked after. But I've still got my little one-year-old and my little one-month-old here in the house with Jenny. And I'm going off training for an hour, even sometime, maybe two hours. I'm like, oh, is Jenny going to be all right there with, with the kids? And if that's there every day, that little mental strain can eat into your performance, maybe eat into your training quality. Then you come home and instead of just enjoying that rush of endorphins and just returning back to a nice resting state, you're going into bam, another stressful environment in your family life. Or it could be, for example, for our listeners, they go back into their office, for example, and they have to rush back and get things done in the office. So they're constantly in that threat state from an external environment point of view that mentally they're always struggling as well when, when they're going training. So if you're challenged both physically and mentally, that can be, that can really wear you down as well. Yeah. That was kind of one of the takeaways at the discussion last week is we said, you really need to try and model the experience so that the, when you apply a physical stressor, that the psychological response and everything around it as well is conducive to getting the body quickly back as we say into rest and digestion or parasympathetic state but that that element here we're talking about is nearly another level is to say how are you socially affected um by what you're doing and that's both in racing it's 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 different because in racing the pressure is often from it's from you how how do you how how do you think your self-worth maybe is affected let's say it's a race where you know everybody because i i remember this actually as a personal example that when i was first coming back from injury many years ago i preferred to do races abroad or if not in the county where i'd usually race because there was no one there to compare myself to and this was simply because i didn't like the idea of coming back you know when you're not fully ready and suddenly you're much further back and that was because back then i was younger and more of myself uh, worth was invested in athletic performance too much probably you know so i i by if i had went into races where a lot of my regular competitors were i can see now looking back i was moving straight into a threat state because i was not just dealing with the physical challenge which i was less prepared for than normal because of the break but i was putting this other narrative on top you know ah you know i'm going to look so crap compared to before etc you know which is obviously something about you know this is something you have to work out with yourself and each person in its own way and we all have our different narratives you know for other people it mightn't be self-worth it might be something else um but these are things that affect the racing situation and then as you say for the training the pressure can be more like what is the sort of response we expect to get when we walk back in the door has our boss noticed that we're actually 10 minutes late um or or is it that is it is it the wife or the husband you know there's they're there holding the screaming kids and and glaring at you angrily or is it um just the pure pressure on yourself you come and you rush in the door you gulp down the food and you think then you are kind of like really stressed out because the work that you have to do that particular day is now trying truncated into less time so this but the good news is we ultimately have some control over that because those emotions are obviously arising from a situation that you cannot control everything but you can learn to control much of it you know a strategies i've used on over the years was when when i found that i was very busy with work i would often do the same hours of training but i would split it over fewer days 
and it slowed down a bit, of course. But that actually, for me, and this was very unique, it was just I found with my working situation that it was better to have a few days a week with no training. So I could just really work, you know, without any breaks, nothing to interrupt the flow. And mm. then on the day where I ran, I ran a bit more. But yeah. you also save all the in and out time, you know, putting on the gear, going to the shower, etc. Yeah, yeah. It's a similar type of conversation, Rennie, that I was having with one of the athletes in my group there this week. When we were talking about adding on strength and conditioning to the training and, you know, he wanted to do two to three strength and conditioning classes a, um, a week or sessions a week. But most of us, where do we find the time to run five or six days a week and then add in two or three SNC classes on top of that? You might run in the morning and then three nights a week you're going off to SNC. And one solution for that particular scenario was, well, you can maybe add on your SNC to the end of your runs. You might, instead of maybe even lifting weights, you might add on some plyometrics. Just before you come in the door, you might do some bounding, some jumping, some hopping for the 10 or 15 minutes before you come in the door. If you do that maybe two or three times a week, that adds up to maybe 60, 70 minutes of SNC over the course of the seven days. And then you remove that added pressure of trying to find three different slots. Um, on top of your running, which for me is always the most important anyway. So hopefully we've identified the potential problems, but there's a couple of solutions there and maybe to it as well. And I'm sure Rennie yourself, like myself as well, when we're experiencing those pressures, whether it's you know too much of our identity involved in running, I think we, we just have to slow down, don't we? And actually, whether we're out on the run or we have a couple of minutes to ourselves at home, and even meditate on it a little bit to think about it, actually think through why am I getting so stressed out about not having a good race? Or if I know the shit is going to hit the fan when I walk in the door now, well, it's just to accept it and not to fight against it. Because the worst that can happen is, and this happens to me regularly, when I come home and I have planned out maybe a 20 minute session or half an hour session of uh, yoga for runners or plyometrics or something like that. But then the kids need me or Jenny needs me. And then I'm just in a constant state of battle then between trying to do what I want to do, trying to help the kids. And neither of the two sides get the get the time that, that they deserve, you know. So it's just to take a moment maybe to breathe and think about what's causing the pressures and the stress. Just to meditate on it slightly and hopefully find a solution that way. Yeah, we could probably all go back and read, as I say, Stephen Cowie's, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, I think it was called, because he, it does talk a lot about that, and especially that balance between the different roles that we all have to play in life, you know, because that is important. And when those roles conflict, it creates an awful lot of friction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, But the in terms of, like, the article was trying to take, um, you could say, a slightly less detailed look it wasn't straight away diving into okay let's let's try and teach people how to reorganize their lives so that their control is increased you know and that they can develop more self-belief etc they were just kind of saying well first of all we need to look at what is it that that drives this threat response you know that what you're doing becomes a a threat rather than a challenge and they said well lack of self-belief is one the other one is this perceived control. Um, and I thought, and then there's achievement goals. That, but I thought the two first ones are the most interesting to the listeners because self-belief is, is in many ways, I know there are parts of self-belief that is not that easy to address. Okay. If you have some very deep doubts about yourself, you know, there, there will be people listening. I've spoken to many clients over the years who say to me honestly and candidly that they suffer from a lack of self-esteem. 
and that is obviously a deep thing that you need to dive into, right? There might be some life coaching involved there because where does that come from? You know, that could come from many, many different things and some of it very, very complicated and a lot of it quite outside my expertise zone. Um, but then if we look at things, there is simple things in terms of self-belief that a coach can influence and that you can influence yourself. And one is that, first of all, you get an honest assessment of where you're at. You know, so this is where good fitness tests come in and doing tune-up races over distances and terrains that are relevant to give you an honest picture of how you're going to perform in your A race. And that you then use that information, that you don't ignore it, to create a goal that is reasonable and realistic, you know, because you, you have to be ambitious, yes. But if you're so ambitious that it's basically pie in the sky, then you get this thing we have said so many times in this podcast that the difference between expectation and reality is so big that there's a lot of pain when you when you come into the race and you realize how far you are from what you were what you were dreaming of and that straight away sends you into that threat spiral that's the problem you know if you fall off the pace you were th you thought in your mind that you should hold in the first few kilometers of a long race like a marathon you, you can straight away fly into that threat state because now everything that you feel you worked for, this whole picture that you had created, it's just crumbling in front of your eyes. It's a bit like poor old Morocco yesterday, you know, who actually responded very well. But within four minutes, you know, France put a goal behind them. And we all, you know, there was a lot of excitement building up about how they were going to be, the, you know, the first African nation in the final. So they actually responded well <laughs> to their credit, right? So they didn't. I don't know why. It must be a mentality thing. But, you know, they didn't crumble. But a lot of teams and a lot of individuals in a situation like that, when things go against the narrative so early in a race, it can kick this off. And but and it's a physiological, you have to remember, it's then a physiological reaction. So your heart rate will go up. Your, you might have, you know, more hypertension in your blood vessels and suddenly your running economy drops. Then you start hyperventilating, you know, so it's, it's a really vicious cycle. Yeah. So that's the that's the first thing. That's about the goals. And the second thing is that you do things in training that expose you to all of the things you think could go wrong or could be aggravating factors in a race. You know, so for ultra runners, it's to make sure that you run through that list. You know, what can go wrong in my race? So I could get blisters. I could get a stomach upset. And, you know, my pole mightn't fold out because it's stuck. You know, you can go through a long, long list of things. And you you work that into your training and you work out solutions. So you just have them handy because you're going to go into the race then feeling, you know, I've got this. I have thought of most of the things. For a non-ultra runner, it's more about saying, let's say, I knew athletes, honestly, who were so sensitive to race if anything about the race situation was not ideal, then they, they already kind of would be thrown and the race was half lost then for them. Yeah. Sometimes they could still perform because they might've been very talented, right? But yeah. they didn't perform as well. I don't know if you recognize this Owen, but these people often, you, you need to kind of slowly then expose them to the stuff that you know knocks them yeah. in training. Just so even hills, that's a, actually someone used that technique with me because I used to have that. Every time we hit a steep hill, I, I went straight into negative thinking because I had this idea in my head that I was weak and that I was a poor climber. And it took someone, a coach who specialized in that area of coaching to actually tell me, he says, well, this is just a story in your head. He says, you have to attack it differently in your training. He says, when you see a hill, you need to just in training, be a little bit aggressive and try to keep programming your mind to see the hill as an opportunity. 
you know, to make a move and change that story that you have about yourself. Yeah. Because a hill meant threat where it should have meant challenge. And I said, yeah, you mentioned Morocco there a couple of moments back, and I suppose one of the the highlights of the Moroccan journey of the World Cup was the support that they had there. And as we're talking about how to manage this challenge state, isn't it so important that we have good support for our training and racing? Because if we have good social support there around us, that can be a massive positive influencing factor. And as we get to the end of the calendar year, you know, it's it's an ideal time maybe to try and break off any links or connections there that are with people who are very negative towards your running. We can't just break off some relationships, I know, but maybe other and others we can, where if you're beside people or if you're with people who are constantly slagging you off as you go out the door for a run, or if there's a race coming up, up and they're always putting you down, and um, maybe just think about in 2023 leaving those people behind and then likewise if there's people maybe that aren't maybe honest in their observations of what you're doing and they're constantly saying you're fantastic and you're brilliant and therefore maybe you're setting your targets and the bar too high maybe you need some honest people around you as well to help you develop as a runner too so it can be a good time to maybe sever old connections and make new because that social support element is so key. And I know speaking from my own experiences, Rennie, as well, uh, as I think I might have mentioned it once or twice in the podcast that when I threw, when I went through my divorce around 2016, in the couple of years before that, you know, my previous partner just, just wasn't interested in, in running or racing or sport in general. So there was never really much support there. And that led to, you know, two or three years of terrible injury trouble. And then thankfully I met Jenny and we got married and the last couple of years have been wonderful in many ways. And the running has been wonderful in many ways as well. So just one small example of having that, having a good positive social environment around you can help manage that challenge state and threat state very well yeah and in many ways when you put it that way i think we can all see that it's it's really like that with anything you're trying to achieve in life you know i think there's no yeah. no situation in life where you don't really where you don't want to rid yourself it's a bit of a harsh word but you you know you want to minimize your exposure to so-called toxic people but by toxic people of course no person is necessarily always toxic but some people can be can have that influence on you you know because for some reason they what they say and the way they act in relation to you puts you down or it drains energy from you, you know, and as you say, sometimes you don't have a choice because maybe it's a family member or someone you have to look after, someone you have to deal with in the workplace. Um, and then, of course, it's just a matter of learning to say, look, they, I need to learn to control my um, reaction to this because it really doesn't matter what they think of me. You know, they don't control me. They don't know me. You can start, you know, learning strategies like that too. But of course, the best thing is to simply hang around with people that, as you say, are positive, who are motivating, that you know have your back, that don't think less of you because you are not always successful. Uh, you know, because, and because I suppose that is what a lot of the best relationships are based on as well, is that, that there is a deep level of respect that is not based on outcomes. You know, it's it's based on an, a mutual admiration of, of character and process. And coaches as well have a responsibility there, you know, because you do see, and I have seen in, in my own journey through athletics, there are certain coaches who once an athlete is no longer performing and thus contributing to their self-worth they get dropped like a stone um or a, a little bit less dramatic 
coaches in certain arenas can sometimes make the mistake of forgetting the athletes that are not immediately a good return on investment mm. and, and giving all the love and all the focus to the athletes that, that are shiny and new and uh, performing well in races straight away, because that is, it's tempting, right? I wouldn't even blame a lot of the time when it happens because it's, everyone is human, you know, and we all want, um, you know, we're all chasing dopamine to, to some extent or the other, but it is something for you to look at as if you're an athlete, you feel you're in the wrong environment, you know, you're in an environment where you're not supported and, and where you're not getting what you kind of your emotional and social needs, you know, you might love the sessions, you might even love the facilities and the setup, but the whole package has to be there. And you see that in all the centers of excellence around the world, you know, that a lot of the athletes who the top athletes who are attracted to go to those places is because they can see that everyone else who goes there seems to come out better. So there must be something there. And I, you know, we could probably talk about hundreds of coaches who fit that bill, but it seems like a man like brother Colum, right. In Kenya is a very rounded individual who is, you know, he is more than a coach. Uh, you know, he is a bit of a, a father figure to these kids. Uh, and that means he looks out for their, whole well-being not just their athletic performance yeah well i was listening to a football podcast during the week when given that the, it's, it's the month of the world cup and they were talking about coaching in football and identifying talent and that the coaches they're, they're trying to become more and more aware of say the smaller kids that might be especially born in the second half of the year in the different um, age group categories that are maybe six, seven, eight months behind their physical development, that they make sure that those kids aren't passed over in terms of being in the elite squads because they will eventually come good. You know, by the time they're 16 or 17 and they've caught up, you could have a star there that is abandoned when they're 10 or 11 years of age, that they're, they don't get the, the ticket into the elite um, academy because they're a little bit smaller, because they haven't physically developed, and just to try and identify that talent and bring them along in the academy, even though they're not quite ready yet. And I'm sure that happens in running all the time as well, where you, you mightn't see the fastest runner just right at the start of a particular training block. They might need a little bit of development, but everybody has the potential to, to, to come true, perhaps, in, in the end. Um, Randy, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on in, in this topic? It's a fascinating one, and I'm sure we, we could write a book on it, maybe, or you could certainly pick up a couple of books that would be very helpful and very interesting. And just for the, for the listeners, if they did want to check out the article, if they just type into Google, theory of challenge and threat state in athletics, they'll come across that article that you referenced. Um, referenced. But I'll leave the last word to yourself on it yeah well just that what you just said at the end there applies to yourself as well you know just you you can look at yourself too and if you feel you're not maybe a quick responder just remind yourself that it can take a long time for some people to show their full potential you know so if you are getting a bit negative just you know stay consistent keep the belief you know and and because I've seen, I have seen many athletes after three, four, five years of consistency or more, you know, then suddenly they really come through. So just tell yourself that that'll be you, you know, if you are not one of these people that, that goes from zero to 100, you know, the moment you pick up a pair of shoes. Um, yeah. But otherwise, yeah, I just look forward to the lots of interesting topics to come. I think next year on, I'm reading some really interesting deep stuff now um and you know we don't want to be teasing people before christmas aren't right but uh, mm -hmm. i think we have some really interesting stuff to talk about in the new year Brilliant. Brilliant.
Well, well, just before you go, Renny, I'm just on behalf of all the listeners and myself, of course, as well, just thanks a million for your contribution over the year. Uh, it's always a fascinating chat. And I know from some of the correspondence that comes in from listeners, they really enjoy your, your fascinating take on things and that brilliant um, approach of academic research with practical research that you have as well and how you can always transmit so well the most complicated of coaching and running topics. So thanks a million for all your help during the year and enjoy your Christmas racing and training. And uh, I wonder, will you be tempted to a Streets of Wicklow 5K on St. Stephen's Day? Well, I think I'm going to give it to my wife if she wants to run it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the plan at the moment anyway. Okay, okay. Listen, really, thanks a million and look forward to talking to you in 2023. All right, Owen, my pleasure. For our feature interview this week, let's call in the highly qualified, the highly experienced nutritionist to many of the country's top endurance athletes and athletes of all abilities for our annual chat on all things nutrition. Evan Lynch from Evan Lynch Nutrition. Evan, great to have you back for what's nearly an annual event for us now. Evan, this is your third time. (laughs) On the show, we actually in 2020, I think around Easter time, 2021, and probably no better time to have you on in terms of some good practical advice um, with nutrition and our training, given the time of year that it is. Yeah, thanks very much, Owen. Ple- pleasure to be back. Um, am I the most frequent kind of guest like this or has someone awesome. been on more than me? I think you've gone to the top of the chart there with Trey yes. Evans, Zach Hanna has been on twice i think he's the only man that's been on twice and rightly so after the year that he's had i might just need to double check that because we have Rene on every week um, but you've yeah. gone to, you've gone to the top of the table with your third appearance now and, and it's been a good year for you evan i know as well you've you, you've got lots more research done you've opened some new elements of the business and you've brought on some new members of the team as well so from someone looking inwards people must be signing up to you because you're good at what you do and I remember from our very first conversation I was very impressed with the no no bullshit advice that you were giving us all evidence and research based so it's great to see the the business um expanding for you yeah much appreciated um on 2022 has been a fairly fairly massive year I'd, I'd be lying if I said otherwise um just, just a lot of development. I, look, you know yourself. It takes it takes time for these things to grow, and if you do it right, and if you're if you're doing things right, you're doing you're doing it well. It, it's growing. But what I what I will tell you is, there's approximately thirty five people waiting to start with me in January. So I've I've actually never been as busy. And you know you know yourself, and I know it's not nutrition related, but with self employment, you always wonder is it all going to stop tomorrow? And the day just never comes. So look. I, I never thought I'd get to do this as a full-time job. So I'm just riding the wave while it's going and enjoying every second of it. Yeah. And um, we're, we're going to go through a couple of things today, Evan, that hopefully are some general points that everybody can pull something from. But as we go through the conversation and as people are listening, if people want to get in touch with you and maybe book an appointment with you for January, even though you have that number there, can people still get in touch and maybe book a consult with you or if not with yourself, maybe one of your new um, team members that are working on your team there as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the, 
the consultation clinic is open all year round and there will be availability for that in January. That that's something I run. And if if you're lucky enough to live local to Clonmel, I have a nutritionist who will be coming in for two days a week who works in the sports domain as well to do in-person stuff that I just don't have time or capacity to do. For anyone geographically diversified, we'll say I have two sports dietitians, one sports dietitian, one sports nutritionist available for remote work as well. So there's, you know, if you if you want to work with the team, get in touch. One of us will be very, will be very able and willing to take very good care of you. Okay, super. Um, well, let's get cracking on with our own content for today, Evan. And there's so much that we can talk about, but I think we said that we try and maybe touch on three or four things that have repeatedly came up over the year in conversations that you've had with your own running athletes that you've been talking to. Um, so I might just hand the microphone over to yourself, Evan, and if you want to kick off with whatever topic um, um, you feel most comfortable starting with. Yeah, so do you know what? It's it's the 19th of December, Owen. Let's be a bit seasonal and talk about how to manage your diet around Christmas time because all of my clients, Olympians, pro cyclists, weight loss candidates, diabetics, uh, busy mammies, they all have the same question. How will I not go off track over Christmas? I'm sure this is something you maybe hear clients say as well, Owen, right? Yeah, and I suppose the 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 match that in then with the coaching side of it and the performance side of it. Some people can be very busy at Christmas time with work and family commitments, where other people have all the time in the world that they don't normally have, and they do extra mileage, extra sessions, get out to the hills more, yeah. and then of course they need to fuel more as well. So it can be very different for for different people. Oh, look, hundred percent. I, I suppose generally where people are coming from they talk to me it's they're almost afraid of a a consequence that they perceive of having like a mince pie or going out for drinks once or twice over the festive period and in some cases what they're asking me is they almost want me to tell them not to do it so that they have a reason not to because they feel that's really beneficial for performance and you know what I'm going to probably be a bit controversial here and I'm going to Gonna, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know what the research says, Owen, about how a, we call it a balanced diet and how maybe a moderate amount of junk food or rose and celebrations, do you know what impact that has on sports performance? Well, I suppose if, if someone goes to a Christmas party on a Friday night and, you know, they have a few drinks, they overindulge in in the, in, the, in the food itself and in the desserts that come along, I suspect their, their tempo run the next day or their run in the mountains the next day might be a bit slower than what it would normally be, um, certainly on a short-term basis anyway. It, well, I presume that would be correct, no? <laughs> what I was actually going to say, the research suggests that, uh, it actually, no, it's wrong for me to say this, there is no research on that topic of like acute junk food intake and sports performance because no no researcher scientist or dietitian in the world thinks it's a problem in essence the idea that having a couple of roses or a bar of chocolate or a croissant is bad for sports performance is a cultural belief as opposed to a scientific fact and it does 
it, it genuinely, I've yet to meet an athlete who's not obsessed with eating clean because mm. they feel that, that that's what they're given on Instagram. That's what they're given on Facebook, that this is how this must work. I am an athlete, therefore I cannot do X, Y, and Z. And a lot of it is absolute bollocks, to be perfectly honest. No, obviously, I'd be remiss not to say that, let's say you go on a night out and you have a couple of points and you stay up really late. Those two factors, alcohol and lack and lack of sleep or sleep disturbances, everyone knows that they will affect recovery. It affects heart rate variability. Training will be harder the next day. You're not, you're not probably going to smash a tempo run or your best race if you have a lot of drinks or you're, you know, you're not going to bed till three o'clock in the morning. And I remember from my days as an athlete anyway, my my coach much to my dismay, forced me to train easy for a couple of days around Christmas so I could enjoy the odd social event. And at the time, I remember thinking, God, this is terrible. This is lost progress. And in hindsight, I'm delighted he did it, you know? And then I suppose another key element then as well is that if you do enjoy a nice big Christmas dinner, or a few extra drinks, or a bit more dessert at a Christmas party, that you don't feel guilty, and therefore you say, okay, well, I'll run an extra two or three miles tomorrow, or I'll do an extra 40 minutes in the hills tomorrow to make up for the extra calories that I've consumed, and then I'll get back to square one again. Because you're probably just asking for trouble then, really. Yeah, and and all of that stems on from the idea that junk food or whatever you might call junk food is negative for sports performance. People literally think if they eat a biscuit that, well, I've undone a gym session or, you know, that somehow negates my like pace and heart rate zones. They're no longer relevant because they ate a biscuit and they feel to compensate. So what I thought would be helpful and I'm going to zip through it, key tips as to how you can manage maybe around Christmas time in terms of managing calories, because it is true that weight management is often often something that happens concurrently with sports performance. And the average weight gain over Christmas is 2.2 kilos. So practically, that's what we want to manage. We don't necessarily want to be telling people they're wrong for eating biscuit. We just want to make sure that they don't eat a whole tin of biscuits or a whole tub of Pringles or a whole box of roses because that's not balanced or controlled. That's an uh, and, and do you think, Evan, that, that athletes might actually be more prone to eating that full box of biscuits or chocolates because we kind of starve ourselves of these foods during the year? And I'm not sure if it happens to yourself or if clients have said it to you, but sometimes I find that I haven't said eaten, you know, biscuits or milk chocolate all year. And then all of a sudden I might have one and I get this massive, big, positive response in my brain. Oh, my God, that's delicious. And all of a sudden, you're on a second one, a third one. And you can't stop because you keep on getting this little rush or this little message in your brain to say, oh, another biscuit, another biscuit. Just because we've got no control because we haven't been eating them all year. And it's like this whole new wonderful experience um, for, for our taste buds. Yes, 100%. There's a lot there, right? So thing number one with binge eating disorder let's say or any kind of eating disorders we know that the more someone restricts something or the more negative reinforcement exists as to oh i shouldn't have this 
the more likely you are to overindulge your binge when you do have it. So excessive restriction always leads to excessive binging. It's black and white. Second to that, I tend to see, and I used to do this, athletes are either on or off. They have that 100% mentality and it applies to diet as well. I'm taking a few days off training or I'm going easy for a few days. Therefore, I don't need to go to bed early. I don't need to eat my vegetables. I can eat whatever I want because for these few days, I almost don't identify as an athlete. So none of those rules I had in my head apply any longer so I can do what I want. Does yeah. that um, does that logic sound familiar to you? Yeah, and I suppose then just the whole emotional eating as well, that at Christmas time, even though maybe we're off work, but we all have different stressors of maybe family commitments and so on, or we're sitting around the table, you're not too sure what to be chatting about. And instead of maybe having a chat, you're just eating instead, just to be not sitting there doing nothing. And then, you know, you're just binging that way, you're, you're binging because of the stress of the, of the situation, whatever might be going on, and you're just knocking away those biscuits and those chocolates to help calm the moment down or whatever it might be. Dead, dead, right. And look, I suppose I'd be remiss not to point out there's actually terminology specific to, to binge eating. Like there's there's a difference between overindulging, comfort eating, eating a bit too much and binge eating. Think of it as a spectrum. Overindulging yeah. and comfort eating, you're just having a little bit more than you need to maybe when you don't need it. Yeah. Binge eating is classified as eating massive amounts of calories in a short space of time. But the key thing, and you actually use the word control, when someone suffers from binge eating episodes, the hallmark is that they do not feel in control of what is happening. It's, it's almost like a dissociative state where they cannot stop. And someone who suffers from a legitimate binge eating could eat a whole 15, 16 inch pizza, a bag of chips and a bar of chocolate in 20, 30 minutes and then feel terrible about it. Yeah. I, I'm going to assume where I'm going to go more so towards the comfort eating, try to talk to your uncle who you see once a year and you, you, you've already talked about what the weather is like. So you're, you're running short on small talk. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um was there anything else evan from a from a christmas nutritional point of view you, you wanted to cover before we maybe move on to something other than um uh, than christmas cake and christmas biscuits and alcohol there there is actually and, and this is important and maybe people will find this interesting because it, it's relevant all year round at christmas time comfort eating happens because we are bored it's really the only time of year where most people actually have nothing to do. You're not accustomed to having nothing to do. And boredom is considered to be the most difficult emotion for us to deal with. Boredom affects us more negatively than being sad does, actually, from a psychological perspective. Yeah. So having a bottle in your hand, having a tube of Pringles, they're excellent Christmas options because they're time consuming. It's a distraction. It's not that you really love them. It's just, it's a way to distract you. It's the same teenagers on mobile phones is another form of that distraction. It's kind of the same concept. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Sure. So Christmas guidelines 101 that I have for athletes. Number one, you must still take the boxes. You have to eat your vegetables. You cannot skip meals. You still have to include color. You still have to do 
sports nutrition guidelines, you know, eating carbs before, during, and after training and eating frequently. Do that. You can then go and have some chocolate, have a bit of whatever you want. Thing number two, anyone listening who thinks I'm going to be good this Christmas, forget about it. Reimagine what being good is. The idea that you must avoid junk food to be a good athlete is a lie and a fallacy. The quicker you let go of that, the quicker you will be able to actually enjoy your life and not kind of go through cyclical guilt and bouts of determination. Thing number three, watch your alcohol intake. Binge drinking is classified as four or more units in one night. That's two pints or more. You go over two pints, four glasses of wine, you're binge drinking. So the impact that has on sports performance, it affects heart rate variability for approximately 10 days, and it can affect sleep architecture for a couple of days. So if if you're planning on having a good indoor season, you probably do need to curtail that in particular. But that's really the only thing I'd kind of be putting, um, what would I say, stipulations and limitations on. Everything else, enjoy in moderation. Interestingly, when you don't feel guilty about it and you know you can have it, you're much less likely to feel out of control. So that's that's all people need to do for Christmas. Yeah, and I remember when, when I worked in an office in Bank of Ireland, um, I used to always have pretty much two weeks off um, at Christmas time. And I always actually used that two-week period, Evan, to actually kind of step up my training a little bit because I wasn't working. I had more time and more energy. I wasn't in the office and it was great. And things are a little bit different now, working for myself. So you're pretty much, as you know yourself, you're, you're working every day. But what I would say to the listeners as well is that if they do have their 10 days, two weeks off over Christmas, not only can they really focus on some good quality training, but they can use maybe that two-week period once they have kind of Christmas Day out of the way to also really focus on their nutrition as well and kind of get their plan in place for for the springtime, moving on to the summer and set themselves up for a good year. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And I know I know you wanted to look at a couple of points here and I'm going to I'm going to use this opportunity to segue into the next point if that's okay. Because yeah, please do. It's somewhat relevant. And what I'm going to start talking about now is REDS, relative energy deficiency syndrome. And often, oftentimes where it starts, or one thing that a lot of red sufferers have in common is I need to be good. I need to have a black and white mentality. Here are the rules that apply to food because I'm an athlete. And they often all have that restrictive or avoidant nature, like the Christmas time rules. Yeah, it's a, it's a great topic, um, Evan, and especially because I know you have a big interest in in the male element of mm. red S syndrome. And it's, it's very um, important for the podcast, Evan, because I was just looking at our stats before we came on on Spotify and 80 percent of our listeners are actually male runners. So okay. I think to bring us through red S from a male point of view could be very helpful. OK, so. For anyone who didn't know, I actually started a PhD this year and my research area is looking at the health effects of red S in male endurance athletes specifically. So to four out of five listeners listening to this, you need to pay attention. And the reason I, I'm segueing now is Owen mentioned setting yourself up for having a good 2023. If you get reds, good luck and thanks to your next two seasons. It's not happening. Reds is something that sneaks up. And in men, 
do you know what actually i'm going to explain what raids kind of is first before i yeah. talk about how it affects you and how it happens think of it like malnutrition but specifically in athletes and if you look at athletic cohorts specifically endurance athletes and specifically running and cycling and triathlon where a lean physique is championed and where low body fat levels are the norm and where you know people compare each other oh this is my percent body fat this is my watts per kilo this is my vo2 max if you actually ask runners about like weight and diet they actually generally have a very disordered outlook on it so reds effectively it's a collection of symptoms that comes from every aspect of physiological and psychological functioning that is negatively impacted when an athlete under consumes calories so the driving force of relative energy deficiency syndrome is called low energy availability so and what what that basically means Owen, if you know what your weight is and you know roughly what percent body fat you are like so say i'm gonna make some easy maths for myself yeah let's pretend i'm 50 kilos i'm i'm not 50 kilos by the way i'm i'm about 90 but let's let's pretend i'm 50 and yeah. i am 20 percent body fat that means 40 kilos or 80 percent of me is fat free mass it's the, it's the bit of me that isn't body fat okay makes sense yeah. so far yeah sure for female athletes and then again the other one fifth probably if you multiply that non-body fat number, so in my case, in my example here, it's 40 kilos. If you multiply that by 30, that's where your risk increases as a female for developing reds. If you keep on, on that number long enough, you're going to start seeing menstrual disturbance, uh, stress fractures, immunosuppression. You're going to see issues of body composition. You're going to get sick and injured more optimum yes. for women is Evan, when, when you say we when you stick on that number long enough it will lead to such and such what, what number are you referring to then you, you mentioned 40 by 30 what was that so yeah 40 by 30 so for for a woman let's say let's say the woman has a fat-free mass of 40 kilos right yeah if they if that lady consumes 1200 calories a day of an energy availability long term Okay. That, that's going to result in massive health problems and how we calculate energy availability we look at someone's calorie intake and we take away the exercise costs so it's the energy left over to support biological functioning yes. for women the critical threshold is 30 calories per kg of fat-free mass optimum okay. is 45 calories or more per kg of fat-free mass okay okay yeah and right. then for so men are trickier to study. It wasn't actually even acknowledged until I think it was 2014 that that underfueling was actually able to affect men. And it was just shot, shot off as you're tired. You didn't sleep great. Now you're just stressed. And because it's easy to, you know, you can you can almost explain away fatigue and poor training performance and injuries as part of the course, right? Yeah. So that, that research base is currently emerging. But what we see, on is that men behave differently than women when it comes to calorie restriction. 
And for men, it depends on the research group and how long they've been in a low energy state. But it's around 15 calories per kg of fat-free mass. You need to keep someone at that for only a couple of days before a man starts to see reduced testosterone levels, immunosuppression, reduced insulin sensitivity, a whole bunch of things. But what we're missing at the moment, we don't know, is it long-term if we keep a man at kind of that that equivalent um, 30 calories per kg of fat-free mass mark? We don't know what happens because the research hasn't been done yet. It's still growing. Okay. Um, In terms of symptoms, if it is happening, Evan, and I know you did a a video a couple of weeks ago, which was brilliant. I I thought you you were great to do it. Um, I've come across that point before. uh, And let me help you along the way here with this conversation, because I I think it's key. And it's something that that I follow myself every week. And uh, it's to make sure, Evan, that a, a male athlete has a certain number of boners a week. It, it, it's as simple as yeah. that to show yeah. that you're 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 trained, you're not overtraining, you're eating well, your body is functioning correctly. And um, and if you don't have that sex drive, if you don't have that boners, you got you got it, problems. You've got problems. Um, I don't know if you have any stats, Kevin, to help us. Should it be every morning? Should it be every day? Uh, I say it in jest, but also say it quite seriously yeah. as well. It, do you know what? The two of us are kind of laughing here. And I'm I'm accustomed to talking about this. And, and I assume you are. But this just goes to show how much it's a taboo in men. And this is one of the reasons the research is lagging in men, right? I, I'm 27. I know when I was in college, where this stuff tends to fester and start, if I asked all of my colleagues in UL Athletic Club, do you have erectile dysfunction? They would say, no, I'm sound. No one admits to it, okay? Because there's a taboo with it. What I can tell you, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer the question in a second, but I had mentioned that we don't know fully how low an athlete's calories needs to be for how long in men to be problematic. But here's an interesting one. An athlete who goes through periods of the day where they get into a big energy deficit, men or women, I've studied this in men specifically, that can cause reds. That can cause all of the same symptoms as can a low carbohydrate diet. So if you have an athlete doing big fasted training sessions, or intermittent fasting, or high-fat diet approaches, that low glycogen availability and building up that negative calorie deficit during the day, that is more than enough to start changing bone health markers. It's enough to cripple that um, hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis that governs testosterone production, luteinizing hormone, and all of those reproductively relevant hormones. You can do that by by any of those means. And I know a lot of people do that and it's not considered a problem. So we're not just looking at not eating enough. We're looking at the pattern and what the person is eating. And I mentioned testosterone and that's what links in here. One, one fact, and maybe you did, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't. There is a condition known as exercise male hypogonadal syndrome. 
And it's considered to be an adaptive response to endurance exercise where male endurance athletes, their testosterone levels are 20 to 40% lower than let's say, I don't know, a tennis player or a soccer player or a fellow who just sits on his arse all day. Okay. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's hard. And if we start then to see an athlete who is not really having a whole lot of interest in sex or sex drive, they're not getting morning erections every morning. So that's to answer your question. It's supposed to be a, a daily thing. Or maybe every morning. Start- that's what I was going to ask. Every yeah, sure. yeah. Are, are we doing okay if it's just two or three times a week or... If we're not every morning, we need to up our game. Um, yeah, you need to you need to start pumping out a few weights and eat a few more spuds if it's not every morning, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Yeah, um, sure, sure. And I remember Evan reading um, an article uh, by a pro runner one day. I forget the name of the guy. And he was saying that he knew he was ready to race championships when he wanted to have sex with his wife. And, and if he didn't, he knew that he was just overtrained, he was undercooked or whatever it might be. Um, but he knew that he was in championship performance standard when everything was working okay. And when he wanted to, to kiss and cuddle with the missus. And uh, it, it was it's something that I remember distinctly because it makes total sense, doesn't it? Yeah. That, you're, that you're full of energy, that you're full of vitality, and therefore you can go out and perform. And if you're not, if you're just slouching around the day, no interest in doing anything, low in energy for all other aspects of life, just so you can get your training done. Yeah. Well, then you've got a big problem. I can explain that. And I don't know if, if that's quite the policy that Sport Ireland are ready to adopt just yet, but it, it's, it's definitely a good proxy. So let's look at overtraining or underfueling. Both cause the same problems because they result in energy deficits generally or massive amounts of cortisol and catecholamines at baseline. So if, if you're already thinking, Jeannie, I don't get boners every morning or the erectile strength I notice is not as strong as it used to be. If you also have poor sleep, sleep disturbances, difficulties getting to sleep, you're losing interest in sport, you are finding it hard to do intensive workouts or you can do gym work and easy training well but you cannot sustain anything that's at the higher end of your aerobic range. You need to talk to someone like me and you need to go to a GP who's interested in sports and get your fasted cortisol levels checked in the morning. And you need to get your testosterone and T3, your triidiotyronine hormone checked along with kind of a normal blood count. The sports surgery clinic in Santry are really, really good for this. And I've worked alongside them with some athletes or there's some, there's some really good med- sports medicine physicians around the country, but that's what you need to do. AS. It, 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 is it easy to turn around, Evan? Because I suspect probably there is a lot of guys out there who are maybe on the edge, who maybe yeah. aren't quite there yet, but are on their way. Can we turn that around easily? I, I presume cutting out things like fasted long runs up the mountains, fasted sessions first thing in the morning, and yeah. you just got to feel, you got to feel pre and post. Here's what I've seen, how it works anecdotally and what we know from the research so far. The first thing to suffer is sports performance. And then you start to see increases in cortisol, low testosterone levels and stress fractures. They are some of the latter things to happen. So if that's happening, you're already after doing a whole host of damage. Recovery times vary. 
I had a really high level athlete this year and last year who recovered within five months and they had like they were really really severe into it like they they they, they had um massive injury restrictions they weren't able to tolerate any kind of tempo work sleep was all over the place a libido was absolutely shagged iron deficient immunosuppressed it was a disaster so the timeline that i see depending how far you've gotten into it if you're you know acting quick and it's at the stage where you're finding training is hard and you're kind of tired all the time and you think you have a shy diet but you've had no obvious kind of negative outcomes like a stress fracture or any kind of endocrine problem you'll feel better within a couple of weeks if you increase your carb intake significantly and address any deficiency that you're currently are probably suffering from that can take a few weeks what i yeah. tend to see with people and if they're asking me like you know when when is this going to get better training will feel easier instantly and daytime energy levels will be better quickly yeah within a couple of weeks they're sleeping better and then the you know it can it can depend but they get way better at training that that's that's progressive training gets easier and easier for men then you know they might notice that libido picks up and i i had um i can't say what he won a marathon in ireland in 2022 i can't say which one because it would identify him but sure. testosterone levels doubled in i think it was three months white blood cells went from suppressed to normal ferritin count doubled everything just went the right way because we filled him to the absolute fucking ears with carbohydrates that's that's the treatment you saw Brilliant, from yeah you yeah it's it's really it's really sure to hear evan because i know for a number of years there was a push wasn't there especially for endurance athletes marathon ultra runners to go towards the more fat-based approach that it was a cleaner way of eating and we were told that we can run all day on fats but i think if there's any type of intensity involved and just to avoid those risks there from what i've experienced myself as well just from my own training really um that you just need the carbs even during races as well now i know you'll always have a few outliers who can go through a whole ultra marathon on nothing and might just eat something because they're bored like a good friend of mine told me there a couple of weeks ago who's a very successful um ultra runner but for most of us we need to be getting our fuel in what i would say there and i suppose again i have no hassle being controversial because i'm, I'm, I'm qualified to say what i'm about to say I would say that no reputable sports dietitian or sports nutritionist who actually understands the evidence and the implications of a high-fat diet has ever suggested someone do a high-fat diet. We've known for approximately four years now, Owen, that fat-fueled exercise is not as economical. So there, there was a project Supernova there in Australia. They did it with race walkers, actually. Yeah, I have know a bunch of the subjects and they did them with high fat and high carb diets. The high fat diet guys, their VO2 maxes were higher, but they were about, on, I think it was an average of 100 seconds slower in a 10K time trial, despite okay. having a VO2 max. And the takeaway was fat adaptive responses on paper 
make you fitter, but you're way slower. And also, if you look at the health effect of a high fat diet, you develop insulin resistance. Most people also get high cholesterol when they do it because most people don't do it well or safely. And it can also make gut issues more likely. Yeah. What I would also point out, high fat diets are very hard on your stomach during exercise. Yeah. It's, it's very, very difficult to fuel up during exercise in a high fat diet. And irrespective of that, aerobic training itself or being a well-trained endurance athlete, properly training at your zones and maybe putting in the odd low carb session that gets you as good at burning fat as you really need to be. What it boils down to for ultra runners, and I work with a lot of ultra runners and people doing marathon de sables, and it, you know, it's public knowledge that I worked with Sean there when he did the Antarctic Marathon just a couple of days ago. You don't need to specifically focus on burning fat. You need to have have it in your tool belt, but you you need to emphasize race day nutrition. That's your saving grace. If you're fit otherwise, you'll perform to your utmost. You don't need to be fat adapted. Yeah. Um, Evan, I know we're, we're getting close to the end of the 35, 40 minutes that we said we try and steep this, stick this conversation to. And we've covered two great sections, um, Christmas, nutrition plans, and then this topic here as well. And maybe just to finish off on, Evan, uh, some advice maybe on those runners who who don't want to fall into that trap of doing the majority of their runs fasted, say, first time in the morning, before they go to work or before their day starts with their family commitments, their work commitments, and they just don't have time to get up two hours before their training session to get a breakfast in and digest it. And what Mm. can they do um, to make sure they have something just before they go out the door? And it's something I've experimented with. And what I found that works very well for myself is, is literally the minutes before I start my run first thing in the morning, I'll take maybe two or three dates. Easy to to digest. I get a nice little sugar high. And if I'm right, um, Evan, I think I maintain that sugar spike and I off I go training and energy levels are good. I read that somewhere, something like that. And it's been working for me ever since. But listen, I'll ask you, the expert, am I doing the right thing? And what can people in general in general do that might be in a similar situation, which I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are, yeah. are living through something similar. That is that is one way to do it. You could go for a banana as well. That would that would work pretty great. If you struggle with appetite in the morning, you could try just sipping a sports drink pre pre-training. If you have half an hour, if you have a Lucasade sport or Gatorade or Powerade, whatever, sip that for half an hour before you go and maybe bring a gel with you. Yeah. What is also helpful if you have a session first thing in the morning and you're shocking at eating in the morning, have a big bowl of cereal before you go to bed and still try to get something small like your dates, your bananas, your sports drinks in before you go. And then you're, yeah. you're generally okay. Okay. OK, I remember a great tip you gave us last time was, and I've said this to a couple of people and it works to treat a bowl of Rice Krispies, either just before you go to bed or even for that pre-training session snack that morning. Very easy to digest and full of simple carbohydrates to use as well. Yeah, I actually had a bowl of Rice Krispies there a little while ago. I went uh, I was there for half an hour, so I, uh, I, I only run to eat Cocoa Pops. 
<laughs> yeah. but, well, listen, Evan, thanks a million for coming on again. Uh, it was short and sweet, but it was some brilliant, brilliant tips for Christmas and something that I think, as I said, 80% of our listeners probably need to keep an eye on. Evan, thanks a million. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, Evan, you might just tell us where the best place to, to go to get in touch with you is. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at elinchfitnot or you can email me info at evanlynchfitnut.com. You could just Google me as well. You find me as well. So yeah, okay. okay. Happy Christmas, Evan. Thanks a million. Thanks very much, Owen. Have a great Christmas. That's a wrap for this week, everybody. And apologies there if the sound on my end was a little bit off for the chat with Evan. A big thank you to Rene and Evan for some great running and nutritional tips, as always, from the guys. And if you would like to listen to some discussion on Red S syndrome for both male and female athletes, because I am conscious we did put a male slant on the topic there with Evan. But of course, the issue has come to light with female athletes, especially first and foremost over the last couple of years. And in episode 12 in our coaching slot with Rene and the two of us delved into the topic in more detail so do check out your Trail Running Ireland feed where you listen to the podcast and you can click on the first couple of minutes of episode 12. Guys that's a wrap for 2022 everybody thank you for listening in thank you to our patrons who help keep the show going thank you for your support thank you to all the listeners guys have a great happy christmas enjoy your training of course too and we look forward to catching up early in the new year and talking all things trail running ireland everybody get your running gear on let's go happy christmas <laughs>